Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. So this week was my son's spring break, and it was also my spring break because the school that I teach at had spring break this week too. So I decided that I was going to take an overnight trip uh, with my son and my cousin up to Lake Tahoe. And I love Lake Tahoe. It's one of my favorite places in the world. And so we drove up there on Tuesday, and on Wednesday morning, we were heading back, and it started to snow. And so we were driving out, driving out of Lake Tahoe, about to head up into the mountains, when we saw one of those flashing signs that said, chains required. We turned on the radio to confirm, yes, in fact, chains are required at Myers. And for those of you who don't know where Myers is, Myers is the little town that's right at the bottom of the mountain before you head straight up. And so I got a set of chains and we are driving out and there's a sign. It said chains required and everybody had pulled over. So we pulled over and we put the chains on my cousin's car. It took a couple minutes. Uh, another couple pulled up in front of us, totally clueless about how to put chains on their car. So we stopped and we helped them put the chains on their car. Finally got back in, and I kid you not, we drove about 50 feet before there was another CHP car with another sign that said, chains off. (laughs) So we just pulled right over, took the chains off, and started heading up the mountain. And it's funny because last week we started this series, Man Up, and one of the things that I talked about last week was that, you know, men, we hate taking directions. And this trip to Tahoe just proves why we shouldn't follow directions. Because I knew I could make it across that mountain. It hadn't been snowing long enough. That's probably not a good way to start off this message with telling you why I'm wrong. Last week we started our series, Man Up, and and we started this series intentionally talking to men and also to all of you who have anything to do with men in your lives. If you are married to one, if you're dating one, if you are trying to raise one, if you work for one, then this is what we have been talking about, what we started talking about last week. And and today when we talk about what is it that being a man is, it's a very, very controversial subject. It's not as simple as it was even 10 or 20 years ago, because when we talk about that question about what does it mean to be a real man, what does it mean to be a good man, what does it mean to be the type of man that God created us to be, that when he created us, he intended for us to be the type of man that we truly are supposed to be. And, and that's the key word there is true. It's, it's truth. And last week, what we talked about was we talked about how Jesus said that there is truth and that if you listen to the things that I say that are true, and you would be like a man who built his house on solid rock and that when the storms of life come, or for some of us, when the storms of life come again, that everything won't come falling apart. So today, if you are anywhere near a television, or if you spend any amount of time online, uh, the whole idea of man and masculinity and what it means to be a man is everywhere. In fact, right now there is this term that you hear about all the time, uh, and I'm sure that you've heard it. It's called toxic masculinity. 
toxic masculinity. Uh, There's a gentleman named Terry Wright who's a psychiatrist out in Berkeley, and he gave this definition for toxic masculinity. He said it's this, the constellation of socially regressive male traits that serve to foster domination, the devaluation of women, homophobia, and wanton violence. So basically what he's saying is this. This is what toxic masculinity is. It's men trying to control everything. It's men aggressively pursuing sex, aggressively pursuing power. It's men being violent. It's men who fear anything that challenges their manhood. Fear anything that makes them feel vulnerable. Toxic masculinity. But the solution that society offers us is to get rid of masculinity. That's the, the, if you listen to any of the blogs, if you watch the news, if you watch some of the daytime TV shows, they will tell you that the solution to this is to just get rid of masculinity completely or to dumb it down so much to redefine it into something that it was never meant to be, something that is untrue. And when we do that, it can never lead to a good place. Even if our motivation for doing it is good, it doesn't lead us to a a good place because it's not based on truth. And what will happen is, is that if we accept what society tells us, that the storms of life will come as they invariably do. And when they come, because we're not living based on truth, everything is going to fall apart. So... If getting rid of masculinity isn't the solution, then what is? Well, if you look at the two words, toxic masculinity, you will see that uh, we can look at that first word, toxic, and the opposite of toxic is harmless, helpless, impotent. Now, I know that toxic is bad, and we don't want to be that, gentlemen, But we don't want to be that. Right? And yet, that is what society is telling us that we're supposed to be. And if you look at the word masculinity, the opposite of that is femininity. And so there are people in our culture today who say that that's the solution. Is that we should make the norm, the normal behavior for men more feminine. And that would make it better. That men should surrender their masculinity. Now, you see the words are right next to each other. And so, ladies, I know what you're thinking. Are you saying that if you're feminine, then you are harmless, helpless, and impotent? Absolutely not. I am married to a woman. She is absolutely not harmless. (laughs) Hmm. All right? No, she's a good, strong woman. I've felt it. All right. But listen, even if men acted like women, right? Even if we said that that was the norm, there's something inside us that knows that that's not right. There's something inside us that tells us that men and women are inherently different. They're not the same, and they weren't supposed to be the same. So trying to force men into pretending to be something they're not, well... It's going to fall apart. It's just not true. 
So the question today that I want to talk about is, what if the answer to toxic masculinity is not to throw out masculinity? What if the answer is not to just totally get rid of masculinity? What if the answer to toxic masculinity or to bad masculinity is to substitute it with true and good masculinity? Good masculinity. The masculinity that men were created to be, that men were created to manifest, to express, to even leverage for the good of people around them. And so the question for us is, how do we find out what that looks like? If we're supposed to have good masculinity, where do we find it out? Well, I would suggest to you that we go to find out where we find out about everything else in the world. And last week, I kind of talked about this, right? I talked about my car and how I was hooking up the jumper cables to the fuse box instead of the battery. And I only realized this when I looked at the owner's manual. So in the same way, if we want to find out how men were designed to be, how they're created to be, like we do with anything else, if we want to know how it's supposed to work, if we want to know how to make it the most efficient, we look at the operator's manual. And this is what Jesus did. Every time there was a question, every time people would ask him something tough, he would say, listen, you've got to go back to the beginning. Basically, he was saying, you have to go back to the operator's manual. Because in there, we'll tell you everything that you need to know. So last week, I compared masculinity to being in a car. And I talked about how a car, when used properly, is a really great tool. It takes you from here to there. It allows you to drive around. You can see the sights. It lets you move things from one place to another. But in the same way, if it's used improperly, it can cause a lot of damage. Another thing that has the same property is a knife. And a knife is kind of the same way. Because a knife in the right hands has the ability to do good. It can create things. It can make things better. It can improve things for us. But that same knife in the wrong hands can cause destruction. It can cause injury. It can even cause death. And so for some people, we look at this and we think, well, then let's just ban all the knives. And you know that that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to get rid of the knives. But that's what culture tells us. In fact, if we equate it, culture will tell us, listen, the knife is bad. So what we should do is we should get a stone or, a, or, or something and just blunt and grind down the blade until it's really, really dull. Round out the point so that it can't hurt anybody. But the problem with that is, is that if you do that, the knife becomes completely useless. In fact, it becomes more dangerous. And for any of you who've ever cooked, you know that a dull knife, when you try to slice a tomato, is the easiest way to cut your finger. You're better off with a sharp knife. So what is true of cars is also true of knives. That if it's used properly, it has a lot of benefits. But if you use it improperly, there is the potential for it to do something really, really bad. So what if the solution to knives 
What if the solution to cars, what if the solution to toxic masculinity is not to dull it, it's not to replace it, it's not to ban it, it's not to change it, but what if the solution was to take that knife and to sharpen it as sharp as we can get it, sharpen it so that it reaches its greatest potential, and then put it in the hands of someone who knows how to use it? Isn't that the solution that we're looking for? If you look inside any operator's manual, you're going to see this language. Improper use of this, whatever it is. Knife, lawnmower, hatchet. Improper use of this, whatever, can lead to property damage, serious serious injury, or death. And the problem for many of us is that we don't believe it. Or we'll say these notorious words that every man who has ever done something that they know that they shouldn't have done or shouldn't be doing says to themselves, I'll be careful. And it never works. It's true for cars. It's true for knives. It's true for people. And men, listen, we have to own this. A lot of this is our fault. We, as a species, have misused our power. We have let it go, let it get out of the way, and now something is broken. And listen, this is not something new. This is something that has been happening from the very beginning of time. It is the oldest story. Men not using their masculinity in the proper way. And it really all comes down to a choice. And so today... What I want to do is I want to take us through a very short passage of Scripture. It was written by a guy named Paul. For those of you who don't know Paul, the Paul that wrote much of the New Testament, Paul was a, was a guy, he was an educated guy. Uh, he was around at around the same time that Jesus was alive, even though they never met face to face. But Paul became a Christian, and he ended up writing most of the New Testament. He ended up planting churches all over the known world at the time. And one of the churches that he planted was this little small church in Rome. In fact, if you ever go to Rome, you can find that church. It is still there today. And Paul was not in Rome. He was in the Jerusalem area, and he wanted to go back to Rome, but he couldn't. And so instead of going, what he did was he wrote a letter to the church in Rome. Because they had some things going on, and and he wanted to be there to talk to them, but he couldn't, so instead he wrote them a letter. And that letter has survived over the years, and it's today what we call the book of Romans. And so we're going to be in Romans in the very first chapter. And Paul says this, he says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, I want to take this apart a little bit. That word anger uh, is, comes from the Greek word orge. And that word means anger that leads to consequences. In other words, he's not just saying that God, if you do something, that God's looking down at you and he's just going to be pissed off at you. That is not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that God looks at you and he actually feels grief over what we do. I make a mistake. I, know, I do something I know I shouldn't have done. And God looks down with grief at me. And this is something that every parent understands. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Because at some time in your life, one of your kids has done something that you know they shouldn't have done, that you have told them over and over again not to do. They did it anyway, and now they have to pay the consequences. 
there's pain involved. And you look at them and you want to say, hey, you brought this on yourself, but you know that they're hurting. You know that something caused them pain. And you, you don't know how many times you can say, don't stick the key in the electric socket. And they do it anyway. And you think, man, you could have avoided all of that pain if you just listened to me in the first place. And so this is what Paul is saying. This Paul is saying, listen, when God looks at us, when he sees some of the things that we do, he's not mad because, for the sake of being mad. He's grieving because he knows that we knew better. And he knows that there are consequences to what we do. And this is Paul saying, hey, listen, you knew. You knew better. You knew what was going to happen. He says, but you suppressed it. And men, we know what this is like. Because many of you who are like me have experienced this. Your wife tells you, don't do that. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to get hurt. It's a bad idea. And what do we do? And we do it anyway. We suppress the truth. We knew she was right. We just didn't want to give her the satisfaction. Verse 19, it goes on and it says, They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. And when he's talking about them, he's talking about all of us. So there's no limitation in time. He's not talking about the people who lived in that era. And there's no limitation in location. So he's not talking about just the people in Rome. He's talking about all of us. It was obvious to them. And then he says this, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. See, what he's saying is this. He's saying, listen, there is something inside you that witnesses everything in the world. You have seen it. You've seen what the world is like. You've seen what people are like. You've experienced this. There's something inside you already that knows. There's something in you already that knows. And to some degree, you have to be accountable for how things work and how things end up being, what the results are of what you do. There, there's a book I'm reading. Um, it's called The Twelve Rules of Life. It's by a gentleman named Jordan Peterson, and it's really one of the most fascinating books I've ever read before. And, um, and if, you've ever, if you get a chance to read it, uh, the, the guy is brilliant. And the things that he talks about there, I mean, he just puts so many things into very explainable but weird, it, it makes sense. Anyway, Jordan Peterson, when he was talking about reality and truth, this is one of the things that he said. He says, then if you don't accept that reality will always come up against whatever your feelings are, that reality will always take truth and bump right up against it. He says, then you're challenging reality. It's like, good luck with that, man. It's like you were holding a plastic ruler. You ever have one of those plastic rulers? You know, the ones from school? the really bendy ones, it's like you're holding a plastic ruler in front of your face and bending it. And you know at some point you are going to let go and all that force that you have stored up is going to snap back and nail you. Now, I don't know who does it this way because I always did it this way. And I still ended up snapping it back and it wasn't fun. See, what Jordan Peterson is saying and and what Paul is trying to tell us is this. You can live the lie for a while. 
You can live the lie for a while. It might be a week, it might be a year, it might be a decade. But eventually that tension is going to just keep building up and it is going to snap you back and nail you right in the face. You know why the world is so jacked up right now? It's because everybody is trying to define their own truth. And they're trying to bend it. And they're trying to make what they say is truth fit the life that they are living instead of looking at the truth and comparing it to the life that they're living. And the pain that we experience is because truth is truth. And whenever truth comes up to reality, if your truth isn't right, everything is going to fall apart. It turns out that the universe is self-correcting. And if it wasn't, then there wouldn't be any species that are extinct. He goes on and he says, Paul goes on, he says this. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give thanks, give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God is like. They began to think that they were wise. And we see that all the time, don't we? You have people who become so um, excellent in one area, in, in whatever it is that they're doing, and all of a sudden they think that they're an expert in everything. So you have a really, really great actor, and he thinks that he knows everything about everything. You have a, a, a really, really great athlete, and all of a sudden he thinks he's an expert on everything. And no one is an expert on everything. Verse 23 says, And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, we're going to worship us. And worship is really just another way to say, this is the thing that I'm going to make the most important in my life. More important than anything else. Whatever is in your life that is the most important thing in your life, that is the thing that you worship. And Paul's saying, listen, we're putting other things in our lives, things that were created, that we are putting in that place, that we are worshiping instead of worshiping the one who created it. And God says, listen, this is how I created you to be. And we look up at him and we say, I don't want that. I don't want to be what you said. I want to do it all on my own. And this is the response. He goes on in verse 24. He says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. It's like, okay, you want to do what you're going to do? Go do it. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Now I have to tell you, I read this And it describes so many parts of my own life. So many times when I decided that I knew better than God and I was going to do whatever it was that I wanted to do. And God's going to say, listen, if you are going to do whatever you're going to do, if you're not going to listen to me, at some point, God is just going to say, okay, go. 
I'm just going to butt out. You do whatever it is that you want to do. And it's not that God is abandoning us. See, I want to be clear on this because there's nowhere in Scripture where it ever says that God abandons us. But what he will do is he will allow you to receive and to, to feel the effects of the decisions that you make. It goes on and it says they traded the truth. They traded the things that they knew. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Listen, God doesn't hide anything. He wants everything to be out and up front. He wants all of us to experience everything that we possibly can. Scripture tells us, and it describes it as an abundant life, that that's what God wants for all of us. And what, he, what Paul is telling us is that if we don't see it, he also puts people in our lives to help us see it. Many of you are here today because of that, to help us see it. And so when we think about what does it mean to be a real man, what does it mean to be a good man? You know, there are some of us who are here today, some of you maybe who are watching us online, and you have never seen it. You've never seen and experienced what it was like to have a father in your house, or you never had a mother in your house. Maybe you've never experienced what it was like to have a family. A real family. And so you've been doing everything you can. To, you've been making it up as you go along. You've been trying to figure it out on your own. And God is saying this. Listen, I have put enough in you so that you know. And for everything that you don't know, I am going to put people into your life who are going to speak that truth into your life. And this breakdown has happened over and over again. The breakdown that we are seeing has happened over and over again. It, it has happened to every great empire. It has happened to every great nature, uh, nation, to every great culture. And the first thing that always happens is an attack on masculinity. In every society and in every culture. The first thing that happens is the destruction of men. And then it is shortly followed by the destruction of families. And listen, this isn't political. I'm not making a political statement. This was written 2,000 years ago. It's the same story. It's been happening over and over again. And men, this is us. Someone says, this is how it's supposed to be. And we run up to them and we say, do not run my life. Someone tells us, hey, this is, I think, the better way to go. And you say, no, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what it means to be a good husband. Don't tell me what it means to be a good father. Don't tell me what it means to be a good boss. Don't tell me what it means to be a good coworker. Don't tell me what a good marriage is. It's just natural for us. It's part of our nature if we are not careful about it. And so here we are. We're in the second week. Last week, I know you wish you weren't here, for those of you who are here. This week, you're probably thinking, okay, this is it. I'm not coming back here anymore. <laughs> when are we going to get to the good stuff? When are we going to start talking about the solutions? Well, it's not going to be today. So you're going to have to come back. 
Listen, even if I told you today what God has to say about who you are, you wouldn't believe me. And you know how I know that? Because if you did, you would already be living the life that God intended you to have, that God intended for you to live. And so next week, we're going to get to the solutions. But this week, what I want you to do is I want you to take a look at this question, especially gentlemen. Here's the question. What is it that you really want for yourself? What is it that you really want for yourself? I mean, if you knew what it was that you were supposed to be, if you knew in your life all of the things that you wished weren't that way, what is it that you really want for yourself? If you knew that you could make true what you really want for yourself, what would it be? How would people look at you? What would be the words that people would use to describe you? Strong? Confident? Good? And so if you can see what is it that you really want for yourself, then the follow-up question is, then why don't you have it? What is keeping you from having what you want? What is keeping you from being the type of man that you want to be? Well, if you don't know, and I'll tell you, as I go through this, especially this week, I I feel like sometimes I just don't know. But fortunately, it's all in the operator's manual. And in here, God tells us who we were created to be. He says, listen, it's already true. Who you were created to be is not something that you have to earn or to get to. It's already inside you. He says you exchanged it for a lie, but you don't have to. And it's robbing you of what God wants you to have in your life. And so the question is, what needs to happen in your life for you to have it? And men, for us, it usually comes for those who have done it, who've said, hey, I want to make a difference. I want it to be different. It's come from one moment. It's come from that moment when you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I can't do this anymore. When you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I refuse to continue to live life like this. When you refuse to, to, to keep accepting all of the things that life is throwing at you and you decide, I am going to make a change. I am going to do something different. I hate who that person is. I want to be this person. So men, think about what are the roles that you play in your life? Husband, father, son, brother, coach, teammate, colleague, classmate. And then think, what is your vision for that? I mean, if you could agree with God's definition of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a good man, what true masculinity is, then think about that. What kind of husband would you be? What kind of father would you be? What kind of son would you be? What kind of boyfriend would you be? What would your life look like? Can you imagine what it would be like if, if, if you as a husband, you got home one day and your wife is just looking at you and she says, you know what, I don't know what I did to deserve this. But God could not have given me a better husband. What if your children, when they saw you, they looked at you and they said, Dad, listen, 
I am so, so blessed that God loved me so much that he made you my father. What would that look like if you got to work and the people around you walked up to you and said, listen, I am a better person. I am a better employee. I am better at my job because you are in my life. Can you imagine what that would be? And so I want you to, men, I want you to leave here today with a vision of what it is that you could be, what it is that you want to change. What, what is the vision of how you want people to see you, how you want to see you? Now, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, listen, you don't understand. My life has been hard. You don't know all of the things that I've gone through. You don't know what I've had to survive. You don't know what kind of parents I had. You don't know how I was raised. And you think, it's too late for me. There's no hope for me. There's no chance of that ever being me. That dream is dead. Well, I want to tell you something. God is a God of hope. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.